Nearly a decade after first forming in El Paso, Texas, Greg Gonzalez's Cigarettes After Sex has tapped into a sound that has captured the ears, if not the hearts of many, with the debut full-length out this past summer on Partisan Records. I'm Jeremy Peterson, joined in the studio today by Cigarettes After Sex. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Great to have you here. Uh, What are you going to start with? Uh, We're going to play Sweet. This is our newest single off the new record. Watching the video that you said
After Sex joining us in the studio, Sweet is the name of that song, the self-titled record out this year. On Partisan, the band here with us, Greg Gonzalez on vocals and guitar, Philip Tubbs on synth, Randy Miller on bass, Jacob Tomsky on drums. Well, for, for many of us, this band, Cigarettes After Sex, it, it seems like a, a quickly arrived, fully formed, uh, virtual overnight success story. But if, if you read a little bit on your backstory, that sort of is uh, not the truth. Definitely not <laughs> the truth, yeah. It's been a while in the works. You launched... Uh, cigarettes after sex, or, or a version of it anyway, back in two thousand nine. Yeah, actually two thousand eight. It started, um, and it was it was way different. It started just as a name, but the sound was much different. It was more of like an electro pop kind of sound when it started, and just year after year, I would kind of change the sound up, and it finally in twenty twelve became what it was, and it found its identity then. And for me, it sort of really started then, honestly, with that record. So this started in El Paso, which seems unlikely to a lot of people. I don't know what the El Paso scene's like, but um, was there, when you moved to New York, was there a shift stylistically that occurred there? Or I mean, that's kind of when you met up with your band members that you currently have, right? Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, Jake Tomsky on drums, and, uh, and then I met Randy, bass player. We met in Brooklyn, and I met them together, actually. And they were playing in a band, uh, playing right before an incarnation of cigarettes that I had in, uh, I think it was a cake shop or something. Cake shop. Yes, yeah, in Manhattan. And so that's when we found uh, Jake and Randy, and pretty much what they brought was they just helped refine the sound down to what it is now, I think, the, the perfect kind of sound we have on the LP and on Affection and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, not really a stylistic shift, but I think definitely a shift in refinement towards what we were already doing when we met, you know. One thing I took away about reading uh, some of the history uh, of the band, and, mm-hmm. uh, or the band name at least, you know, all the success you're having now. You're touring the world, selling a lot of shows, mm-hmm. playing some big festival dates. It seems like you've earned it. Oh, that's nice. That's a nice thing to say. <laughs> okay. It just seems like there was a, a long period of time where the story was uh, one of rejection, almost. Totally. Or people not showing up to the shows, or, or at least you being not satisfied with recordings. Yeah, and especially rejection. But I wasn't bothered by that ever. I, honestly, I felt like I was on the right track mm-hmm. because it was rejected. Especially in El Paso. I mean, I love El Paso, but I didn't think that the music we were making was going to be accepted in El Paso, and it probably shouldn't have been when we first started. Because, you know, that's a sign of it being, you know, maybe a bit forward, more forward-thinking. That was my sentiment all along, and it appears to be true, so not to be, you know, sound too arrogant, but that, that was the thinking going along, that, you know what, um, I really love this. If people don't like it, I think they'll catch up to it later. I like the moral to that story, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Even in the best-case scenario, though, could you have imagined what's going on now? 
Um, I definitely imagined it. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen the way it did. <laughs> That's one thing. <laughs> but um, no, all these things were deliberate. You know, I, I, I love to say it. I mean, I have to say that it's it was very deliberate. This is all the things that were envisioned. They were all visualized, all the things that are happening now from a long, long time ago. Uh, so, someone whose work that you're a huge fan of, I know, is the, the French singer Francois Hardy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she recently penned a piece online in which she declared you her new favorite band. She wrote about hearing your music for the first time. It was a real thunderbolt. It was exactly the music I prefer and which I've been looking for all my life. Mm. (laughs) I should add, too, that she did this completely independent of uh, knowing that you were a fan of hers. It was actually, it's strange how that worked out. And and just to speak on that, um, you know, I'm still speechless about it. You know, she, (laughs) I got into her music around, I think, 2009. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, just thought she was, you know, the most had the most beautiful voice that I'd ever heard, and she was, you know, honestly just beautiful all around. She was amazing, and I got deeper and deeper into her. She never left me, and I've always cited her as my favorite singer over and over again. And then all of a sudden, um, a producer she was working with, Etienne Daho, who's a you know a legend in his own right in, in France, um, he got in touch with us and said that he knew Francois Hardy, and that she was a big fan of us. And so that uh, culminated in actually having dinner with, with Etienne Dao and Francoise Hardy in Paris um, on one of our uh, promo tours. Yeah. You know, how do you even talk about that? Right, it, was, right. it was totally wild. And it was, it was amazing. It was, it was probably the best night of my life, I would say. You seem to have that effect on, on people. It's sort of like mm-hmm. the, the, they hear the music and it, and it grabs them, uh, for, you know, for whatever reason. It, it mm-hmm. seems to sink its claws in. Uh, another one, mm-hmm. an early champion of your music was Shirley Manson. Yeah. And that was when that happened too. And she was just really gushing about us um, online. Just she would post, you know, Facebook posts about. I think I'm a firefighter was the first song she did, and then she did Keep on Loving You, and um, I was gonna hurt you, baby. She did that one too, and that blew me away. Cause I remember just watching Garbage on 120 Minutes doing interviews and just thinking they were such a great band and such a cool band. And um, for her, for them to champion us, for Shirley to champion us, it was uh, same thing in the same way as Francois Hardy did. It really blew me away. It's the best thing you could ever receive as an artist is the approval of artists you looked up to growing up, you know. And you ended up touring with, with them, and uh, you, right. you were here at the Fillmore about a year ago with, yeah. with Garbage. So That was a great venue. That was a really great show. Probably one of the best of that tour, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that was really fun. We're in studio with Cigarettes After Six, and we got more music. What's coming up? Yeah, next up we got a song called Sunsets for my new record.
After sex, and the song's called Apocalypse. Thank you. 
Cigarettes After Sex is the band in our studios. That's Apocalypse, one listeners will recognize from the self-titled record out this year. Also heard Sunsets right before. I want to ask you, I'm not the first one to point this out, but one of the things I find interesting about this record is its sustained focus. You know, the mood and the, the subject matter are, are really unflinching mm. throughout. It reminds me of, you know, song cycle records like like the old Sinatra uh, oh, yeah. suicide albums, as they were called, or, or The Cure's Faith. You right. know, and that it really maintains this this sort of vision. I, I gotta assume that was by design. Definitely, and it, I just thought, you know, record like you just said, Sinatra's in the wee small hours mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is like that record's so special just because it's all about love. And if you're in that mood, if you're in a heartbroken mood or in some kind of mood like that, you just that record is like a drug if you put it on. And I wanted our LP to be in that same kind of category that you got a record like Blood in the Tracks by Dylan or something. Mm. Like, they're just all about love the whole time, and it's, you know, you reach for that, and it's the best therapy, and I wanted RLP to be that exact thing. That aesthetic's one thing on record, but to, to perform that live, mm-hmm. um, particularly maybe early on when people were less familiar with you, is has it ever been a challenge to play over the din of an audience? That Definitely. Was, yeah. Is in that the, something you still have to deal with? In the north of the UK, they get pretty rowdy sometimes, <laughs> uh, but it's all love. Yeah, and especially before the band broke, you know, we'd play to rooms and just get horribly talked over because it's just not what people are looking for um you have to come to the show i think knowing the music already if you kind of show up or at least back then if you showed up you would kind of just be like i don't it was hard to get maybe at at first live going back to what we said earlier about okay maybe the audience catching up with the music and i didn't want to mess with that i just said just do what we do and don't change it based on what the audience is doing the audience can do whatever they want so on the other hand where you guys have uh, you know (laughs) Gotten a following now, it's it's maybe sort of the opposite. I, I would imagine you hush audiences. 
Uh, yeah, for the most yeah, for the most part, I would say every so often there's a talker, and our fans are, are nice too that they hush other people that might yeah, be talking. We've seen some almost uh, fights break out with chatty folks. Oh yeah, getting, you can, getting you, hushed and you can interrupt this, this vibe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's amazing. I like that. You seem to have inspired a lot of guesses and reviews as to uh, your musical inspirations. Everything from shoegaze. I've seen all country in reviews, uh, right. more ambient comparisons. But it seems just as important uh, are the cues you take from visual mediums, and specifically film is a big part of what you do. And I don't just mean that it's cinematic music, which it is, but you actually base music on certain films? This is like a, like a very old thing, actually. Like with cigarettes, I used to kind of write songs while I had like a song on repeat, or a song like a movie on repeat in the background. And I would sort of just have like a film like La Ventura or um, Double Life of Veronique on and just have it on repeat. And then I'd be writing something and just that movie would inspire what the song turned out to be. And I think you just, I would see films, and I would love, like the two films I just mentioned, love the mood, love just kind of the feeling of those films, and say, I want the music that we're making to actually kind of have those feelings somehow. So music that sounds like something looks. Exactly. It, yeah. And I think that's, it's cool if you kind of do that. You take influence from a different medium, bring it into yours, and it, you know, maybe it gives it a little more dimension or does something special that you don't get if you're just doing like... It's just circular with, with music or something. So that's a big thing for us, and it's something that will continue to be in the music. It's uh, it's an obsession of mine that's never going to leave. I, I love film as much as music. So, Well, I know there's been cigarettes after sex music uh, used in, in, in TV soundtrack, for example, or in a, te- right. a television scene. Do you, do you see yourself, though, doing like soundtrack work, like scoring something uh, perhaps in the future? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, same thing, there's a lot of going back to film. I love a lot of, you know, Ennio Morricone is a big influence, or like Nino Rota. Um, Angela Bandolamedi, you know, like all these kind of great film composers are ones that I look up to, even, you know, Henry, Henry Mancini or, or things like that. And so I'd love for us to maybe do, you know, work with a director and, and just do a score or something at some point, like a, you know, full length. It's cigarettes after sex in the studio and uh, somehow the, the room has become smoke-filled. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it has. <laughs> the music is magic. Uh, you want to go out with one more? This is this is another from the, the debut. And this is, uh, I think, the song that I heard mm. uh, first that caught my attention. What's the story behind K? Story behind K, yeah. And this goes back, the whole, most of the record, most of the songs we do are inspired by real people and real moments that I have to people. It's all relationships and things like that. So this song, um, which is kind of an insider thing, it's kind of a sequel to our song Affection. Affection is kind of, it's a long-distance relationship. And Affection, you're, or I was telling someone that they're going to kind of come up and see me and visit me in New York. And then K is where that person actually comes up and visits. And it's that story of when they come. And it's, you have a perfect week with somebody, they leave and you end up missing them. So that's that song. It's Cigarettes After Sex. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
One more from Cigarettes After Sex in the studio. Wonderful, guys. So thanks so much for coming by. Sure. It was our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Love Denver.